I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Again, a practice that we hope to have uh, for our third uh, and fifth Sunday evenings uh, of the month as we make our way through the Psalter. I think it's very important that we have this, uh, this book uh, set before us. Uh, I remember uh, speaking with a, a friend of mine as a number of years ago, he was an English major, and he said there, there wasn't, you know, uh, you know, he was a big advocate for Shakespeare, uh, saying that there's not uh, an emotion that you can't find in any of Shakespeare's works. I think what's interesting is both Calvin and Luther say the same thing, but not about Shakespeare, but about the Psalms. Uh, that here we have an anatomy for all parts of the soul. Uh, and so I think it'd do well to, to recognize uh, the, the highs and the lows uh, that uh, the people of God experience as we lift our prayers and requests to God, knowing that uh, the things that uh, the psalmists uh, of old experienced are the very things that we experience. They're, in fact, the very things that Christ experienced in his earthly ministry. As we see, even in Christ's earthly ministry, even in his final hours, uh, as, as, he was, uh, as he was squeezed, so to speak, what came oozing out but the Psalms. That's something that we should uh, have on our lips and our hearts at all times. So let's give our attention this evening to Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in due season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. This is God's holy word. You know, a few years ago, uh, I was home visiting my family, and me and my brother uh, went out to our favorite taco place uh, back home in Florida, and uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, just catching up on various things. My brother had recently gone through a, a pretty nasty uh, breakup. In fact, uh, no need to go into the details, but it took a lot of courage for him to do what he did, calling it off, heart-rending as uh, this particular uh, event was in his life. But as we sat around eating uh, uh, at our favorite restaurant, he, he just said, you know, with tears in his eyes, I, I just wanted to be happy. He raised an important question, what does it mean to be happy? Where is happiness uh, to be found? Man spends his whole life in the pursuit of happiness. You read the great philosophers of old. It's one of the major questions, what is the good life? You find a variety of answers. The good life is found and sought after in love and relationships and health and financial stability, all these things. And it's a question that we have even in our own confessional standards. What is man's chief end? What is man's chief happiness? What is his chief enjoyment? So I think it's fitting that the very first word to the Psalter consists in this very word, Happiness. It's what the word blessed means. It's not the happiness uh, that is uh, uh, fleeting, but rather it's a happiness that's lasting. Is what we might call a thick happiness. A happiness that runs deep. A happiness that flourishes. A happiness that neither disappoints nor fades. A happiness that withstands, that bears under and even blossoms in the midst of trial, adversity, 
and disappointment. That is the blessed life. And so man's pursuit of happiness, that pursuit of blessedness, we see before us in this psalm, which in many ways serves as an introduction to the entirety of the Psalter. As the Lord himself puts before us two different paths, one that leads to life, and one that leads to utter ruin and misery. So we'll consider this psalm this evening in three parts, and the benefits that are to be found in true blessedness. First, we'll consider the matter of blessedness in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, we'll consider the matter of fruitfulness in verses 3 and 4. And finally, the question of safety or security in verses 5 and 6. Blessedness, fruitfulness, and safety. As we look at the psalm before us, I think it's a psalm that many of us know uh, so well. It's why we began singing with uh, 564. So really, uh, uh, just a, a beautiful hymn. We ask ourselves, how does one live the good life? That, that life of what we might call a thick happiness. A happiness that does not fade or pass away. You know, if you look at modern advertisements um, all around us, probably not so much here uh, as it was when I lived in Chicago. Billboard on every street. Uh, here, not so many billboards, but we still have advertisements surrounding us everywhere we go, don't we? Always trying to sell us goods and commodities. I think even watching television or YouTube, you have some of these advertisements, and after the 30 seconds are up, you go, I don't even know what you're selling, but I want it. Don't even know what the commercial's advertising, but the way in which it's shaped, it's, it's catering not to a particular need, but a, to a particular ethos, this, this, this desire to be fulfilled. It's not just the selling of commodities, though, is it? We also see the selling of camaraderie. Who would have thought that 20 years ago that social media would have the staying power that it does? Be it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. For so many people, uh, and and dealing with so many youth, happiness is often found in how many friends you have on Facebook, how many followers you have on Instagram or Twitter. In one sense, it's nothing new, right? That's the great sway of peer pressure. The desire to fit in, the desire to belong, right? It doesn't matter if you're in grade school or if you're on the verge of retirement. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants to be part of something. You think of C.S. Lewis's great uh, article on, on the inner ring or the inner circle. Everybody wants to be part of something where they feel special. And that's the great danger, isn't it? It's a great joy to be part of a community of people, uh, to have those bonds of fellowship. It becomes the, the, the absolute danger. You think of Augustine uh, in, in the Confessions, that, that great moment uh, in, in the book uh, where he goes and he steals a bunch of pears with his friends when he's a teenager. What is it that Augustine says? I don't even like pears. Why'd I do it? Did it to fit in. Pressure is strong. So strong that the desire to be loved, the desire to belong, it's so easy to throw caution to the wind, so easy to compromise your convictions. Think of the Proverbs. Why is it that the Proverbs spend so much time speaking about the importance of the company you keep? Paul himself tells Corinth, as we've been finding in the morning's uh, sermons, Paul tells Corinth an awful lot of things. But you think in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds them, actually quoting a, a, a Greek a philosopher. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't you forget it. 
And so the psalmist begins here by addressing the real threat of peer pressure. Beware of your associations. It may lead to your destruction. Friendship is a great good, but friendships can also become a great snare. So beware. Notice the, the, the flow of verse 1, where blessedness is found in what man, uh, first, on the one hand, what man does not do, the man who does not walk, the man who does not stand, the man who does not sit with the ungodly. There's a certain kind of slowing uh, uh, process to, to this visual imagery. Here's a man who's walking among the council of the peers, and then he stops, and he stands around and communes with them. Next thing you know, he's sat down. He has made his dwelling among the wicked. Reminds us of what Lot did. It reminds us of even Peter on the night of Christ's betrayal as he follows from a distance, and then he gathers by the fire around those who want uh, to accuse Christ. Here's the picture of the man who sets up camp in the tents of wickedness. Might simply begin as a casual association in heeding their counsel. But heeding their counsel leads to walking along the same path. Next thing you know, you've set up shop at the cool kids' table. And you found yourself on the path to destruction. Notice those repeated verbs to walk, to stand, to sit. It speaks of one's whole manner of life. Blessed is the man who does not follow that path. Happy is the man who finds his delight in a friendship that runs much deeper. Whose delight is not found in the approval of his peers, but is found in the law of the Lord. Our personal friendships can be so fleeting and so failing. What we find here in this opening psalm is that there's a communion that runs much deeper. The source of all of our deepest delights is something that's found in communion with Christ himself. The truly happy man does not care what the crowds think. The truly happy man delights in the law, the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. Here he's speaking of the personal integrity, that personal piety that is to be found. You think of Calvin's opening statements in, in the Institutes that uh, without piety there is no real godliness. There is no true religion apart from piety. I think it's something that we overlook these, uh, these days in the 21st century. But here, piety is so important. The man is blessed who meditates on the Word of God. That word meditate there, it's a, a word can also be translated to murmur. Here's the guy who's found walking down the street humming his favorite Beatles tune. And yet here it's not the Beatles, but it's the Psalter. Here's the one who delights, kind of rehearses under his breath the Lord's commands. This is a meditation on virtue. Meditation on godliness. Think what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, you need to think on these things. These are worthy of pursuit. I think uh, the pursuit of virtue is something that is um, often neglected in this day and age. I have a friend who once asked me the question, he says, why is it that, it, uh, you know, one, why is it that superhero movies are so popular? But second, why are all the superheroes so boring? It's always the villains that people enjoy because I think we get wickedness much better than we get virtue. We find virtue as something that's kind of blasé, uh, something that uh, is not worth our meditation and our attention. Why are all uh, modern uh, dramas gritty rehashings and retellings of other older stories? These meditations on darkness might be helpful in thinking through the, the inner life and the contours of human psychology and its a state of sin, 
But it really shows that this present world really has little concern for contemplating what is the good life. What is virtue? That these are the things that we're called to meditate, that we are to ruminate, we are to, uh, to, to murmur, as it were, to have this song in our heart. When, we, when it speaks of meditation, it's not that, that Eastern mystical concept that, where meditation, I think, when, it, when we think of meditation, it might be, well, I'm supposed to kind of clear my brain of all headspace, kind of enter into this kind of state of utter nothingness. But that's not meditation according to Scripture. Meditation, according to Scripture, is, is rehearsing the law of God. Let it simmer. Let it stew like a crock pot. To turn these things over in our head, to talk to oneself, to delight in these things. And this is what the blessed man does. He rehearses God's law. Right, we've got to remember that there's more than one purpose to God's law. Here, the focus is not on the law as a curse, but rather the law as the school of life, the rule of life for all who put their hope in Christ. That there is a particular path that we are called to walk. And that's the focus. Here's the man who ponders his path. Here's the man who considers his ways and the company he keeps. And above all, what he delights in is private communion with the living God. Fellowship with Christ found in his word and found in prayer. To ponder these things that we are called to believe, those matters of faith, and to pursue those duties that we are required to walk as we walk the path of faith. And so the psalmist says that man will be blessed. This is the blessed life. What is it that you do in private? As you lay in bed at night, what is it that you pursue in your mind? Do you worry what other people are going to think of you? If so, you're going to find your heart turned in one particular direction. Or do you worry or consider what the Lord thinks of His people? What it means to delight in His ways? See, that is the path that bears much fruit. As we see here in verses 3 and 4, verses, uh, these verses describe a blessedness that blossoms. It's a thick happiness that grows thicker still. For the Christian, our blessedness is not something that's reserved only for heaven. As if we are only called to suffer in this life with no hope of joy. That is, that is not the Christian life. There is a call to suffering for the Christian life, but it is a suffering in fellowship with our Savior. So that there is true joy that is found in the Christian life. I think this is so important, even as we consider our own uh, defense of the faith. I think so many of us are often concerned with proving that Christianity is right, when we also forget that part of the purpose of Scripture is to remind us that Christianity is good, and that it's true, and that these are good things things worth pursuing, things that have a greater staying power than what the world has to offer. And it's by meditating on these things that we have lives that will blossom and bud, bearing fruit unto godliness, the fruit of the Spirit, that of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
For the man who meditates on God's Word, the man who treats God's law as a song in his heart, he is compared to the mighty oak tree along the riverbanks. He's deeply rooted, drawing in its nutrients in deep from the waters of grace. Right, A tree with shallow roots will wither under the heat of trial. You think of Jesus' own uh, a parable concerning the four different types of soil. You have that soil that uh, there's no rootedness uh, to be found in this one type of soil so that when the heat and the pressure comes, what happens? What little fruit there is just withers. And yet here, Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose roots run deep. The man who makes private communion with his Savior his chief end. The man who sings the Psalms. He prospers in everything he does. It's a fruitfulness unto godliness. And yet there's a real wisdom that attends this, even in our, godly, in our common vocations. What does it look like to, to, to walk in integrity in your own workplace? Yeah, you'll come under pressure. But as the Proverbs tell us, as a basic principle, the man who walks is in, in his integrity. He might not get rich overnight, uh, as the wicked may. But what he has has more to offer and has greater staying power. The blessed man is bountiful. The wicked, however, are barren. It's not the only time we see uh, this, uh, this metaphor given in Scripture. It happens replete through Scripture. Uh, you, you see, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 5 where the Lord compares the people of God to His choice vineyard. The Lord himself is the gardener. He fertilizes, he nourishes, and he prunes so that his prized possession would bear even more fruit. And yet, if there is no fruit, what is to become of that vineyard? What is to become of that tree? It's to be cut down, thrown into the fire. A fruitless tree is a worthless tree. It's what Jesus says, it's what John the Baptist says, what they both say in their ministry is worth, it's good for nothing else than be hacked down and used as firewood. In fact, in the Old Testament, Israel, as Isaiah prophesies, has, been, has become sick from head to foot. The whole thing is riddled with rot. And so it is to be reduced to a bare stump. And yet the great promise that we have in the prophet Isaiah is this that from that stump would, would come a, a little shoot, the offspring of Jesse. And that shoot would blossom in, into a beautiful tree so that all who are bound and united to that tree will bear much fruit. It is in this context that Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me. Let my words abide in you as, as a man abides in me. He will bear much fruit. Jesus is appropriating that language that we find here, even in the Psalter. The language of abiding in Christ. You know, every January, uh, I, I think uh, nearly uh, so many believers um, begin the process of trying to read through the Bible in a year. And that's a good thing to do. But don't let it become mechanical. The focus is on not trying to finish uh, the, the, the whole Bible within a certain period of time. The question is, uh, the, the matter is using this time to cultivate personal piety, relationship with a Savior who gave Himself for us. Communion with Christ 
That is what we were made for. And so the man who abides in Christ is truly blessed. He bears fruit, even though the Lord might prune us from time to time, either as an individual or as a congregation or as a nation, as a national church, so to speak, or the church throughout the world. Times of pruning come. But as the Psalm, as Psalm 1 says, it's so that we might bear fruit in its due season. The fruit now might look very rare and very, very small. And yet at the same time, the psalmist says, give it time. Give it time, continue to let those roots go deep. Fruit doesn't bear overnight. It takes time. But use this time to cultivate a life of communion with your Savior. The man who abides in Christ will be able to weather the storms of life, and he will flourish in due time. And as we see here, that blessed man is promised not only fruitfulness, but also security, as we find in these last two verses. Here we see something of a reversal of fortune transpire. Notice this in verse 1, it speaks of sinners standing in the path. And now in verse 5, it returns to the wicked, who as a result will not stand in the assembly. They've picked their path. And now that path has consequences. Christ himself says, there are two paths. There's a wide path, and there's a narrow path. One leads to life. The other leads to destruction. What we see here is the fruit of a wicked path where it's found that on the last day, it's what's speaking of here in these final verses, the assembly of the righteous, they will not be found on the last day. When the wheat and the chaff are separated, here, the wicked are spoken of as those who bear no fruit. They're like the tumbleweed. They're seen blowing in the wind. No root. They just blow whichever way the wind goes. The only thing they're good for is to be tossed into the fire. So they will not stand in the assembly of the righteous on the last day. They will not stand in the judgment. Rather, they will stand under judgment. But I want you to notice this, the, the, the progression that this psalm gives, and I think there's probably so much more we could say. It's really the tip of the iceberg. But in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist speaks of our present blessedness as we commune with Christ. Blessed is the man who delights now in the law of the Lord. It's not simply that you will be blessed one day. Rather, that there's a blessedness that occurs here. But in verses 3 and 4, it also speaks of a blessedness that flourishes. One that abounds more and more as it bears more fruit, as it bears its fruit in due season. But now here in verse 5 and 6, it speaks of a blessedness that has reached full blossom. That the one who pursues the path of righteousness is the one who will stand in the assembly of the righteous. A promise that's given even to the last day. The wicked stand in the path of sin, so they will not be able to stand under the judgment. They will not be found in the assembly of the righteous on the last day. 
the path of the righteous. As toilsome, as sorrowful as it is, as painful as it may be, is a path that leads to life. No um, book outside of Scripture I know that, that, that summarizes, that, 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 that visually images this better than Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress. Here's the man who leaves the earthly city to make his way to the celestial city. He's fleeing the city of destruction. And here's a man who undergoes so much turmoil and so much difficulty and hardship. And yet that life is the blessed life where all those who want to reside and continue living and having their fun in Vanity Fair are the ones who are overturned and destroyed. We have to ask ourselves, what accounts for this difference? What accounts for the uh, differences between these two types of people, these two paths that are taken? We see here in verse 6, the cause. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That there's a tenderness. That there's an intimacy of the Lord and His knowledge of those who delight in His ways. The Lord knows those who know Him. And those who know the Lord are known by Him. He knows intimately the path of the righteous. He will guard and keep your steps, the psalmist will say, as we make our way through the rest of this altar. He is the guardian and the keeper of Israel. He is the one who protects and the one who preserves those who delight in Him. But not so the wicked. They are left to their own destruction. The wicked lay a trap. They're hoisted on their own petard. They're caught in their own snare. They don't bear fruit, so they will bear the judgment. They will be cast into the fire as fruitless branches from rootless trees. So as we consider this introduction to the Psalter, where is this thick happiness to be found? It is not to be found in peer pressure and seeking our counsel among the wicked, but rather it's to be found in piety, that personal communion with Christ, union with Christ by faith, and communion with Christ through those means of grace that He's given us, the ministry of the Word, the sacraments, prayer, that our faith might be strengthened as we walk this path of faith that is in one sense blind, A path of faith where we do not yet see our Savior. Yet one day we will see our Savior face to face. And when we do see Him, we will be like He is, 1 John promises us. Psalm 17 promises us. The thick happiness is to be found in communion with Christ as we delight in His Word and sing the song that He has implanted in our heart the songs that are found here in the Psalter. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Psalms. Uh, We ask that as we give careful attention uh, to your word uh, this evening, uh, that you would teach us and use this book uh, to shape our hearts that we might delight in your ways and walk the path of righteousness and bear fruit and on that last day be found in the assembly of the righteous. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.